1: You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
2: From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a show about black culture from blackness's biggest fans. I'm Brittany Luce.
3: And I'm Eric Eddings. So I can't believe we are saying this, mm. but welcome to the penultimate episode of the Nod Podcast. Ooh, second
2: to last. Oh my God. Oh. So, obviously, the show ending, is it's bittersweet for us. Like, obviously, you know, we are so excited about our next project, which is a daily streaming video show um, with a new platform, Quibi, called The Nod with Brittany and Eric. Mm-hmm. But we are also so, so sad to say goodbye to this show that we have absolutely loved making for the last two and a half years.
3: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, this is, I, I tell people all the time, like, if you have a, like, professional achievement that you're proud of, like, this is it, like for for me.
2: Yeah, honestly, like I've never worked as hard at something or cared so much about something as I have this show.
3: Making this show has taught me so much. I mean, we mm-hmm. call ourselves blackness's biggest fans, but you know, we also say, We ain't no expert. We don't know everything. <laughs> no,
2: I'm an expert on me. Yeah. <laughs> and my therapist still might know more.
3: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah but yeah, I have learned so much from making this show.
2: I know for a fact that I am a completely different person from when I started the show to to who I am now and I feel so grateful that, that I got to have this experience
3: same so today, in honor of of that idea mm-hmm. we are gonna look back at some of our most memorable moments on the show. It's kind of like that that last episode of Fresh Prince when everybody's like moving out of the house and then, like one by one each person has like their own like clip to like <laughs> symbolize their growth <laughs>
2: yes.
4: and, and
3: progress over the over the whole show. It's so just just like that. It's so just, just like that. Except you won't see Britney and I like standing in an empty room like looking somber out and then like turn the lights off. That's what that was the last last scene No, of the
2: show. trust me. I mean, that's like burned into my brain. <laughs> it's been it's literally the image of a thousand memes. Yes. Maybe a million memes we should meme it. <laughs>
3: This is a mental note. We should definitely
2: meme it. Um, We could put two heads.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Side by side. Exactly.
2: So we are going to give you guys, you know, a little bit of a a clip show. Yeah. If you will. Some of our greatest moments, greatest hits. If you haven't listened to every episode of the podcast, and it's okay if you haven't. I have so many loved ones, friends, family. I love you. But y'all know you haven't listened to every episode of the show, and that's fine. This is your opportunity to get caught up on some of the show's finest moments. So... I guess we should get started with the first clip.
3: Yes, let's do it.
2: So, the first clip comes from the episode, I Want That Purple Stuff. So, in that episode, Eric took me on a true journey of discovery, complete with an in studio taste test of assorted grape flavored things, which I love grape flavoring. So, that was a treat.
3: You're welcome. Uh, yeah, and, and as a part of that episode, I talked to Nadia Bernstein, and she's a historian of science and technology, and Nadia's research focuses on artificial flavor, hmm. and she told me the history of this chemical compound that is used to achieve that, like, amazing, delightful, fake grape flavor, but that's not all Nadia and I talked about. So, I guess I, I, all the things we're, like, built, like, we're, we're hinting around all this I'm, uh-huh. tr- I'm trying to get a handle on... Like grape drinks or grape, you know, sodas, like artificially grape flavored beverages, Mm -hmm. uh, like their popularity. And like speaking like black folks specifically, like Uh I grew up, you know, um, grape was my favorite flavor. Uh Jolly Ranchers, uh, you know, other types of candy, Skittles. uh, But especially when it came to drink and it wasn't just me, I'm not just this like grape freak, but like. Everybody seemed to be really into grape drink. Yeah. And I'm just curious, is there anything that, like, might hint at the popularity of that for, like, the black community?
0: Yeah, well, if I were to speculate, a lot of these grape sodas originate in the South, right, in the 19-teens and 1920s. Like, New Grape is in Atlanta. Nehi Grape is also in Georgia. Grapeco, right, was in New Orleans and then Birmingham, Alabama— So I would say that it's, like, if you think about African-American culture, like, as being kind of, like, defined in a sense by this, like, diaspora from the south, right, to northern cities, then this is, like, one of the things that you carry with you, right, that is something that comes from—seems to come from a particular place, Mm -hmm. but yet is also available nationally. like, And that's kind of, like— One of the strange comforts of industrialized food.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. As people, like, migrate throughout the country, you know, you take your grape drink with you. Like, you you take your grape soda with you.
2: That is, like, kind of heartwarming in a way. (laughs) Do you know what I mean?
3: And actually, Nadia showed me something that made me realize this connection between Black folks and purple drinks may have been much older than we ever thought. So I'm gonna play you a jingle for one of those early grape drinks, a soda called New Grape.
5: I got a new grape, nice and fine. We rings around the bottle is a ginger wine. I got your eyes, cold new
3: grape. Catchy. (laughs) It's catchy.
0: Who are these people?
3: So those are actually the New Grape Twins.
0: I think there's like six known. Things recorded by them. Mm -hmm. Four of them are hymns, um, and then two of them are about new grape.
3: So it's like (laughs) Jesus and jingles, basically. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Are they black? I was trying Mm -hmm. to—they are.
0: Yeah, well, I found, like, a census record where they're listed from, like, the 1900 census. There's very little known about them. They're born in 1888— one of them might have worked at the New Grape Factory, which was in Atlanta.
2: It's, it's very funny. Like, using <laughs> black people and black music to sell stuff is not new. It kind of reminds me of, like, how people always use pop music to, like, sell soda and stuff like that now.
3: Yeah, and so, like, when I heard this, I was like, oh, man, wait, they got black people singing jingles back then? Like, <laughs> it just didn't really... Didn't
5: I didn't really realize connect. how
0: old that... I didn't realize how old of a device that was. They talk about how, like, if you have a... If, you, if you're drinking genuine new grape, um, you can, like, romance your beau and she'll fall in love with you. Like, if you come home late, um... You can give your wife a new grape and she won't, like, beat you with a, um, she won't beat you with a pan, right? That, like, if you're feeling blue, drink a new grape and, like, it'll lift your spirits, right? Can grape juice do any of those things?
3: I I don't think grape juice can do any of those things. I wanted to play this clip for a very specific reason. Uh When we started making the show, a lot of it was just like, all right, well, what were we interested in? (laughs) (laughs) What were we interested in is Black, you know, that we might be able to investigate. And I had, you know, I was really into grape things and I was like, sure, why don't I look into this? But I hadn't actually expected to find much going into, like, the history of grape flavoring. But being able to kind of, like, dive into something that on the surface is so frivolous and Mm kind of find a connection there that felt pretty significant. And 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 if nothing else taught me a particular slice of history that I hadn't heard before, that was like one of the first times where I really got excited for like what this could be, hmm. you know? Yeah. To be able to listen to like old grape drink jingles, you know? S- that song was good. Yeah, it knocks, it slaps. Yeah. To be able to do that, it showed me that like, you know what, there's there's just so much there there when it comes to black culture and history. If you just go look and you'll find something.
2: I think that's an incredible point. This was like what, maybe the somewhere in the sixth to ninth yeah. It's an episode. early episode. It yeah. was an early, early, early episode. And one of the first ones I started working on. Yeah. And it was also something that like when I think back on it, it was an early signifier of like how I think the show would come to sound. Mm, yeah. Um as far as like having this question and not knowing the answer and like going out into the world and seeing what the actual situation was, I will tell you what. Yeah. I never I have never looked at grape anything the same maybe yeah, actual grapes. <laughs> actual <laughs> grapes. Yeah. Fair, but not much has changed not much has changed. but yeah, I mean it, it's changed the the way I think about like just how um a specific food can become ingrained in a culture and become something that you know feels like it's completely your own. but there's yeah. all of these other sort of like threads and trails that lead elsewhere
3: for sure. yeah so one of the other things that's been amazing about making the show is we just get to have so much fun and we particularly have a kind of fun when we play a round of our classic game, Six Degrees of Black Separation. Oh, my God. And and this clip is the nod's most infamous,
2: egregious connection used in a game of Six Degrees. Maybe
3: best, magnificent No, are the, are the adjectives I think, I think I would use. When I <laughs>
2: said infamous and egregious, I think people already knew <laughs> that I was talking about you. So, in this episode, Eric and producer Wallace Mack are playing a Black History Month-themed game of Six Degrees of Black Separation. I was out of town at the time, minding my <laughs> black ass business, and I came back to this. So, in this final round, they needed to connect Langston Hughes to
3: Tina Turner. All
6: right. So, Langston Hughes is friends with Zora Neale Hurston.
3: They had a big falling out. Now they mind did
6: sure. have a big falling out. But they they were connected. They were sure. connected. Zora wrote "Their Eyes Were Watching God." Mm-hmm. Michael Ealy stars as Tea Cake in that. Yes. Michael Ealy and Angela Bassett are both in Tyler Perry Productions, and Angela Bassett plays Tina Turner.
3: I'm with that overall. How many steps is that? That's a lot. It got to be at least five. I did it in one move. Lyson Hughes wrote a dream deferred, Mm -hmm. and Ike Turner deferred Tina's dreams.
6: Nope. (laughs) Hell (laughs) no. He
3: did. Hell no. He did. No. He did. He did. So where's where's the lie? <laughs> where's the lie?
7: I cannot believe this. <laughs> what? What? I cannot believe Did this. Did I do it?
6: Oh my God, Brittany, please come back. <laughs> oh my God. Look, I, you looked me in my face, <laughs> like you were about to present the man who just
3: contested. <laughs> Who just contested A location move just It's say, an interesting choice Eric Tina had dreams Of being a star Yes And she was achieving That stardom But Ike Was trying to be in a way He had to be in the mix
6: Right 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 And so Maybe somewhere Along the line Ike heard The poem mm-hmm. And Maybe not consciously But subconsciously You know how they be Asked <laughs> What would happen To Tina's dream Deferred Yeah. And he just
3: deferred it. He he, he deferred it because he, you know, he wasn't about shit. But we all know that. I'm just saying, it's just a, just a thought. I will maybe concede that that that, that connection mm-hmm. is a is a touch, a touch tenuous. Yes. Just a little bit. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you what, the flagrancy of this, <laughs> the flagrancy of that
2: uh-huh. truly, it jumps out <laughs> listening to just that clip because you hear Mac do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You hear Mac do it. Mac did it. Yeah, he did And then instead of just being but like, you know what, it. you didn't do it. You didn't do it. That's, the thing is, is that the things that you did, if you look at a list of things that you did, that's not on it.
3: You, you know, didn't do it. In our uh, description, we say that we are going to celebrate the, the genius and innovation of black people.
7: <laughs> and so you mad at me
3: for thinking outside the box? I was being innovative. Disruption. Just I disrupted because you, the game. Right, but just because you
2: disrupted or innovated... Or got creative, uh-huh. it doesn't mean that you were right. Well, Mac did it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Mac did it. It's there. Everybody can hear it. The proof is in the pudding.
3: Uh. The face what he made when I, when I, he, you know, you have that look and you're like, nah, you didn't. You said that. Like, you really said it that. It comes across
2: <laughs> my face frequently, Monday through Friday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're working, working on the show is great for a lot of reasons. And one of the things that, I especially loved was that Eric and I got to talk to each other at length about some of the things we cared about the most. And, you know, the other person just had to sit there and take it. Yeah. So I have been trying for years to talk to Eric about the incredible event that was Oprah's Legends ball. I finally got him to hear me out in an epic form-breaking three reasons why (laughs) Oprah's Legends Ball was the greatest superhero movie of all time. So here's the clip. So after serving a fabulous multi-course lunch in her garden and honoring her legends with a commissioned poem by Pearl Cleege and an intimate performance by John Legend. John Legend. I used to wonder, I'm like, why did she have a man performing? And I'm like, oh my God, you know why? Because everybody she wants performing is sitting in the audience. (laughs) So she was like, I'm going to let y'all rest. I'm going to let y'all rest. We're going to bring John Legend out here. Because what do aunties love more than John Legend? I...
3: Luther but right, that's
2: and it. then the other person is Michael McDonald he actually mm. performed, at,
3: he oh, performed really? at the black tie <laughs> what's literally what What more
2: do aunties want
3: this is also just so black you can wring the blackness out of this if exactly. it was a towel <laughs>
2: exactly exactly so you know Oprah gives these women like the lunch of a lifetime okay and at the end of the lunch after all the tears and all of the you know all of the sort of like composed joy mm-hmm. okay Oprah had just one more trick up her sleeve.
4: This is our final surprise. Do not open them of the day. Final surprise of the day. Please do not open until everyone, until I tell you. All of a sudden, all these waiters line up behind all the women.
3: Is it
0: bad that and I love this?
3: Mostly white people we su- didn't serving. Know what was
0: going on. <laughs> the waiters put down in front of each of us a box. These red boxes came out, they want these silver trays and we're looking at these boxes like what is this
5: okay ladies let's start on the count
8: of three you can begin to open your boxes
9: one
7: two three what is it
3: earrings (laughs) diamond earrings wow wow
2: start screaming and falling out because
4: when you open the box there are these earrings the most beautiful expression of appreciation you know what i love i love a drop diamond honey and i love a hoop so all the youngins have hoops and all the
3: legends have dropped diamonds I gotta say, I still actually have not seen The Legends Ball in full, but... I'm leaving. Yes, we have learned a lot from each other on this show. Uh-huh. And we've also learned a lot from our guests. And there's probably no guest that has left us leaving the studio with our minds blown and, and probably like some, some, some wet tissues, if we're being honest, as much as Casey Gerald.
2: Oh, the first time we had... Casey on the show. He had just written his memoir, There Will Be No Miracles Here. And he talked to us about how the pursuit of the American dream can cause you to lose yourself in the episode, How to Make Free People.
10: I never felt that I was chasing the American dream. I was chasing some sense of self-worth, though. Mm -hmm. And what I lost in chasing my self-worth in the approval of others was that I lost myself. This goes all the way back to what my boy Jesus said. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't Jesus. That was my nigga Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Paul the Apostle. I love
7: that. He real a real one. A
10: real one. A real one. <laughs> you know, Paul is off the chain. Paul says, what would it profit a man to gain this whole world and lose his soul? You can go to Yale. You can go and decide to be a politician or run for office. You can decide that you want to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, you will be tempted every day, every hour, to cut off pieces of yourself, to ignore the toll that is taken on you. And you will be told that that bargain is worth it. And all I'm saying is it's not. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a very specific example of something deeper, this sort of political thing that I'm doing, trying to do in the book. My mother called me the other day. My mother disappeared when I was 13. She came back when I was 18 just to fill in the plot. She called, she had seen an interview I did on C-SPAN. There's a line in the book that says, I've been on this earth for 30 years and I've never met a single faggot starting with myself who survived without finding another place, real or imagined, to call home. She called, she said, hey, I saw your interview. You know I keep up with you. And I just had to tell you, you are a man. You're not a faggot. You're not a punk. Let me tell you the difference. Uh, You are prominent. You know how to speak. You're educated. You dress well. You are an upstanding person who just happens to be gay. So don't put yourself over there when you're over here. Now, after I got past the shock and rage, I was very grateful because it's rare that you get this kind of material in my line of work. (laughs) Okay? Because it got to the heart of what I'm trying to do with this book. You know, it is in part... A warning about the cost of this vision of success we're sold but it's also a sort of more subtle but hopefully more radical political invitation for all of us who have quote-unquote made it to put ourselves back over there to put ourselves over there with the faggots over there with the niggas either all of us are gonna be faggots or none of us can be faggots Either all of us are going to be niggas or none of us are going to be niggas. We, as the faggots, as the niggas, have to uh, refuse the invitation to invest in ways to differentiate ourselves from our comrades.
3: Fuck, man. Like still,
2: I never forget that day. I never forget the day. I never forget the day that we sat down and talked to Casey.
3: We could barely talk after. <laughs> like, yeah, you rarely hear. You rarely hear people just say it. Just say the thing. And like that's something that I don't know. I I have definitely felt this idea that like nah, man, we can't. You can't be above it. We're pushed so much to reach for success, and then maybe once you get it, you then have to look at everybody else differently. And like. That's not gonna really get us nowhere. And also,
2: like what 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 is success worth if it costs you so much? Exactly. Like not even just so much like fatigue or hard work or you know loss of relationships. It's more like if it costs you internal peace, mm, yeah. like if it if it like disturbs your spirit and it makes you wanna, I don't know, further participate in the exploitation and the oppression of other people. Exactly. Which sometimes there are people who will tell you that's what it costs yeah then like what's the point point? and what are you actually trying to pursue i just i remember the energy in the studio talking to him that day and it was like a very otherworldly presence yeah and i also i want to shout out casey because casey allowed me to just say that <laughs> i remember at the end of that interview i was like look i'm not a witch But there is some energy up in here. And he was like, you know, we need to thank that energy. And I was like, you know what, Casey? I'll fuck with you. Yeah. But yeah, so frequently, obviously, when we're making the show, I feel grateful to have been in the room, Mm -hmm. to have had a conversation. But the physical memory, like what it felt like to be in the room when we were talking to Casey like that, it still feels so immediate and so fresh. That conversation was just, it's like imprinted on me now.
3: Same. And if if you have not, if you haven't read Casey's book, you should check it out. Check it out. There will be no miracles here. In addition, check out our episodes. So we actually did two. Mm -hmm. There is How to Make Free People, which is kind of the OG. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the episodes I think we've heard the most that people go back to and listen to just kind of like over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then we did a follow-up, which also includes another wonderful conversation with Casey where he just, again, just— Showed up and just dropped fucking gems. And that one is called You Don't Make Free People. So thank you, Casey. Thank you. So it's clear, yes, we've had some incredible guests on the show and some real moments of like, wait, no, I'm talking, I'm talking to an actual legend
5: Mm,
2: right now. They're in front of me. Yes, 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 yes. Like in this episode. So I never thought I would be able to say this, but LeVar Burton, welcome to the Nod.
1: Thank you, Brittany. I must say, I'm very happy to be here because you two, well, you're funny. You're both. (laughs) You you two make me laugh. (laughs) Can I just say that? Kunta thinks you're funny. And that's all I'm going to say about that.
3: And I have my voicemail for uh, the rest rest of my life. life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Kuta Thinks You're
2: Funny actually became the title of that episode. Like, once you hear that, there's no walking it back.
3: It's done. It's clear. Absolutely. It's written. And in that very special episode, we decided to present to LeVar the three reasons why he was the GOAT, the greatest of all television. And producer Wallace Mack joined us in the studio because he had something he wanted to tell LeVar.
6: Even more important than teaching people how to read It's teaching people to love reading. Mm. That's a thing that Reading Rainbow did for me and, like, so many other people. And you did it on TV at a time where all the adults in my life were yelling, all you do is watch that TV. All you do is watch that TV. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, nah, I'm watching TV, and he's reading. It works, you know? (laughs) It's true. So you— Teaching me and so many other people how to read, how how to appreciate, how to appreciate read. it, how to right. appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's like huge on a societal level. But I think for me on a very personal level, to have you this like kind and like attentive black male figure on TV like every day that was reading to right. me was important to me. For a lot of like younger kids and like younger black guys, I think a lot of us mm-hmm. share this like need to feel. Feel like, like that our that our parents are proud of us, and that we are like the kind of kids that our parents want. Especially for like sons to fathers, you always kind of want to feel like right. you are the like ultimate son for your dad. Right. When I was younger, I didn't necessarily feel that way. Um, with my dad, mm-hmm. I, I always mm-hmm. knew I've always known mm-hmm. I was different. We just grew up really differently. He was a different mm-hmm. kind of guy. Mm-hmm. We went to the same high school. He was like star football wow. player at my high school. He was an army guy, and when, when I came around it was like, ah, what can we get you involved in? Like let's let's try basketball, let's try football. And 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 none of those things really worked out for me. Um, I always felt a, a little soft to him, a little a different, right. but I'd get the chance to see you on TV every day, and you're this man, like standing there, like smiling and like reading and like really affirming that the things that I cared about as a kid right. were okay. Had value. Yeah, and not only were you, like, reading to us, but you were opening up our worldview. I grew up in this, like, really small town. It's kind of, like, poor area in the country. Super isolated from everything. And I'm watching TV every day to watch you take me to different places. Right. So I I would be at school, and my mom was a teacher. And she taught at the same school that I went to. Wow. And that your father went to. Yes. And so— The school bell would ring and I would literally begin this sprint. And this was like an everyday thing for me. So it would be bell rings, teacher dismisses you. I would immediately jet down to my mom's classroom where I could drop my things off and wait for the hallways to clear out. And then that began my like secret mission into the teacher's lounge where I could get the white cheddar popcorn for 50 cents a honey bun uh-huh. for fifty cents and a sprite uh-huh. for fifty cents. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I secure my goods, run back to my mom's classroom, and literally sit like crisscrossed out every day after school to like watch you read to us. Um, and one of the like episodes that stands out the most to me with that is the Liang in the Magic Paintbrush episode when yeah. you went to Chinatown. Chinatown. Yes. Yeah. The Mandarin Inn, Pell Street.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, Alex, it smells delicious. What is
10: this? I'm serving you the Grandma Wong's chicken soup today. Grandma Wong's chicken soup, huh? What's yeah. in this now? It has uh, the whole chicken. Mm-hmm. You're like it.
6: sitting down in Chinatown. And Eating I mean, with I mean, chopsticks fresh, and right. talking to these business owners about their culture and like these are things that I'm unfamiliar with, but things that I'm still curious about. Like I, I yes. might like live in a poor area, I might like live in the country, but I wanna know what's going on in the rest of the world. Yes. Um and that was really transforming for me. And one thing that I do as an adult now is kind of like a practice that I have is that I'm constantly thinking about like what the childhood version of myself would like and like is the childhood version of myself proud of me. And I make it a priority to do things that like make my childhood self feel proud. And so now, like, at 25, living and working in New York City, the Nod team, shout out to Brittany and Eric. They literally took me to Chinatown, like, a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, like, and I had my chopsticks, and we had dumplings, and it's just, like, these really full circle moments. And I, I get to, like, sit back and revel in the fact that, like, this is something that would have made my childhood self really proud. I think he would have been overjoyed and— um. You and reading Rainbow were the catalyst for that for me. I, I can't say that I would have been able to like be as open and receptive to the changes and moves that have occurred in my life over the past few years if I hadn't had the motivation to want to go and experience the things that you showed me on TV when I was a kid. So that is why I begged Eric and Brittany to let <laughs> me come in the studio and tell you that you have had one of the biggest impacts on my life and we've literally never met. But I thank you so, so much for like existing being LeVar Burton and being that man on my TV during Reading Rainbow. Wow. I am humbled <laughs> by that. That
1: that was amazing. What a great story. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I,
9: loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved it.
1: Next time I'm in New York, we're going to Chinatown, man. Yes, we no. are, because I tweet you all, all the time. All four of us. <laughs> we're all, all four I tweet of us. you going, all the time. We're going to Chinatown. All right. And we'll get some dumplings. Sounds good to me. There you go. He
6: knows All a good right. spot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, know <now>. I, <laughs> I can't wait.
2: Listen. That man. I cry. <laughs> every time I hear Mac's story yeah. and
3: also just like
2: every time I hear LeVar Burton's voice, it's just so comforting.
3: Yeah. There are a few people who you're just like, I don't know that man. But I, but my relationship to him is deep. So deep. <laughs> yeah.
2: It, it's like, you know how they have those like brain scans where they'll like put something in front of you and they'll just see how like, <laughs> and it lights mat. up. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, like if you showed a photo to me of LeVar Burton, anything that like a sense of home, safety, love of learning, all that shit would just be lighting up. When you're. That young, as most of us are when we grew up watching Reading Rainbow, you don't know that many people because yeah. you don't go very many places because you're like five. Yeah, you're a child. Yeah. But also, there are so few adults that you have like intimate relationships with, obviously. Yeah. It's like you have your caregivers or your parents or whoever, and like, you know, maybe aunts and uncles, but not everybody's lived close to them. And then it's like you have LeVar Burton, like yeah. this like fun, But like, I think back on it, like really sophisticated, but cool and approachable black man who's just going to like teach you about the world and like teach you, like not just teach you about the world, but give you the tools to sort of discover that there's a larger world out there. And I just think that like doing that for so many generations of people.
3: It's amazing. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, he was one of the few adults who would just sit down and had the patience to sit and talk to you. Yeah. And then that day, LeVar would actually like, go on to just make maybe my whole life. I don't know about you. Mm. Uh, he took things a step further. Can I say that I'm proud
1: of you? All three of you?
3: Please. You can't <laughs>
1: <laughs> You cite me as an influence in helping to shape who you are, and I am grateful for having had that opportunity. And I just want you to know that from where I sit, um, y'all turned out all right. This is the best day of my life. You guys were prepared, too. We tried. Um, we try. Well written. Well written. Well written. Well written. Well written. I can't emphasize that enough. You guys wrote this impeccably well. But you don't have to take my word for it.
3: <laughs> and there you go. <laughs>
1: Boom. I just <laughs> thought I'd, drop- I'd just drop that in
3: Dead ass, I called my mom after he said that.
2: (laughs) I mean, Lavar was kind of like the great teacher that we never got to meet. Yeah. And you never expect to meet him. Yeah. So then to be able to sit for a couple hours and just tell him how much you appreciate everything he's done for you personally. (laughs) And have him
3: not be freaked out. (laughs)
2: Yeah, have him not be freaked out. It's totally sanctioned. Everybody agreed to it. And then additionally say that he's proud of you. Like It felt like my like my parents talking to me on my college graduation day. Yeah.
5: Like, it was just like
2: I'm just so grateful that he feels like he invested in us, even from a distance.
3: Yeah, he and the, did. it
7: paid off. <laughs> it's like, He's like I don't know how it could have went either way, but it worked. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think I need a break to process that. I know I do. So uh, we'll be back. We'll be back.
7: And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
3: Welcome back. Welcome back. So Brittany and I... Live in Brooklyn. But on the show, you know, we really strive to, like, get outside of New York and hear stories about Black life that come from around the country, from around the world.
2: Yes, and one of our most popular stories came to us from, just like me, the Midwest. It was reported by Cher Vincent, who wanted to find out the origins of a Chicago-area grocery store she grew up with and its truly
11: iconic jingle. The store was called Moo and Oink. My family always went to the Moo and Oink at the corner of 71st and Stony Island. And folks, they knew our names. They were like, oh, the Vincents are here? Let's get these packets ready for y'all. Aww. We would go there every Sunday, usually to get a big bag of chicken wings and veggies. Mm. It was hard to get fresh food on the South Side, but at Moo and Oink, you could. We were on food stamps at the time, and when we went there, they... Served us with respect and a smile, but the thing Moon Oink was most known for was his TV commercial, mostly because it was the closest thing you could get to being a viral video. So it was high quality. (laughs) As far as content, yes. Um, As far as like catchiness, absolutely. Like it's an earworm, and it was made in 1982. And visually, it's something to behold. Uh, The commercial has this massive costumed cow and pig dancing the same choreography as these little kids in these really funny 1980s sweaters dancing around in aisles in this grocery store. People are waving. People are dancing. People are having the best time in their life. And you just have to experience this commercial for yourself. Wait, you have the commercial? YouTube. YouTube.
7: Baby, baby, oh, baby. baby twist. Beef,
11: hot Got this dude one one smiling, meal, packing chicken kind of wings of to a bag. Cool. Uh, somebody what
5: did a high kick. It is
7: Tell my you favorite dish. Like this is so if beautiful. You like you, oh,
11: there's there's game, people dancing cool. in the oh, aisle and real. at the cashier. <laughs> this is not a real thing. <laughs> it is 30 seconds. Of perfection. Oh my God! So wait, all will due respect, all due
2: respect, <laughs> I'll oh do respect to lift every voice and sing. How has this not become the Black National Anthem?
3: <laughs> the deep question. They said
2: they said jump if
3: catfish is your favorite dish. Yo, it really is though.
11: <laughs> I love this. It was such a cultural touchstone, not just for my childhood, but for so many people in Chicago. It is just a huge Chicago thing. Every time I listen to this,
2: I have like this urge to shop in Moanoy, right? Like, just I just wish I could. I I'm so jealous that Share got that experience. Yeah. and catfish is my favorite
3: <laughs> dish. It's real. That video is just one of those videos, like where every couple seconds you just get something that just delights you. Yeah, you're just like, yes, that. Oh my God, they did that. Like, why is this so? Pure and good (laughs) and funny, Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's like lasted for so long, like the popularity that commercials lasted for so long, and of moo and oink in general, like it. it, I think it's a testament to that. It's a testament to just like happiness and joy and like fun.
2: I feel really grateful that we were able to showcase a specific piece of like midwestern black culture that like felt. Like real and resonant, and it actually came from Chicago.
3: Yeah, and another time we actually kind of went in search of kind of like those those hyper local stories was mm. uh, was when we found one that was a little little more west. Yes, pretty pretty far west. Yes, in uh, in California, one of your favorite places on Us
2: earth, L.A.
3: Baby, <laughs> I love it. And more specifically, we went to Watts to meet the man behind All Flavor No Grease, a food truck that was selling black tacos. All around LA.
2: Oh my gosh. I loved working on this story. Oh my gosh. So the man that Eric is talking about, his name is Keith Samuel Garrett, also known as Chef Ocho. And let me tell you, meeting him is one of my it was one of the highlights of me working on this show, period of my career of my life. So Chef Ocho built up a lot of his business through instagram he had this food cart in watts like in front of his mom's house and he built up his business through instagram mm-hmm. and when i talked to him i just had to find
12: out how god inspired me to make an instagram page he said I only promote three things promote me promote food and promote positivity i'm like all right i go to church every sunday that won't be hard i can promote god that way i said to promote the food buy a nice phone I'm like, okay, take good pictures, feel me, and really tag a lot of women, women like fool. I'm like, all right, but positivity, promoting positivity. I'm like, hmm, how will I do that? I said, you know what, I'm gonna think outside the box. I'm gonna reach out to celebrities, white people, agents. like I'm really gonna just, I'm finna go hard with this. He decided to call his business All Flavor
2: No Grease. And he definitely followed through with his God-inspired
12: Instagram page. I was taking my personal page and pumping my new page and acting as if my new page was somebody else. Y'all need to follow my boy off Flavor no grease. He cold on the taco. So like I said, I'm pumping, I'm pumping the page, I'm pumping the page. And once I seen my full page exceed my personal page, I'm just, oh, that's obsolete. I'm no more Juicy J is the way, that's out. I me, mean, I'm like, it's all flavor, no grease.
2: I look at food stuff on Instagram, like, all of the time. But Ocho's posts, like this one, his stuff, it's something else.
5: Uh-huh. It's quesadilla time. Uh-huh. I said it's quesadilla time. You say you hungry, you could pull up on an egg. You don't know what to eat. I said chicken, shrimp, or steak. Uh-huh. It's quesadilla time. Uh-huh.
3: There are those people who you just like, you're going to always be all right, you know? Oh, yeah. And Chef Ocho, like, from the second you start talking to him, like, he just has that energy where you're like, oh, you're going to be fine.
2: He is a kind person. He is a hard worker. He is so savvy. He's hilarious. He's God-fearing. What more do you want? (laughs) What more do you want in the hands that are preparing your food? Exactly. Hello.
3: The other thing that was really kind of amazing to witness... Um is how the neighborhood like revolved around him to yeah. a degree. Oh, like, absolutely. Basically when we got there, we got to kinda like linger to like before before it was time to actually like talk to him. And we got to kinda just see him get set up. Oh, All the people yeah. come around. Like the folks who like work for the truck, folks who are just like lining up to just get some food.
2: People adore him.
3: It was amazing. It was amazing mm-hmm. to see like that much joy.
2: And actually, Chef Ocho's food truck um, was a part of this group called the Food Minati, where it's him and a few other Black-owned food trucks in his area of L.A. And they actually opened up a restaurant. And my friends in L.A. tell me that's very delicious. It's oh, called wow. the Court Cafe. Mm-hmm. So he's got, like, the food truck going. And then he has a part of this brick-and-mortar business. Like, it's just been amazing to see like, his business grow. I yeah. can't think of a person who really deserves it more than Ocho.
3: Exactly. Michelin, where you at? Seriously. Where you at? Look. I know where the truck at. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> Honestly,
2: the the days that, that I spent going to Watson and hanging out with him were just some of the most fun that I've ever had reporting anything. It was just, it was great.
3: He was awesome. It was wild. So, earlier you played a clip where you, you know, tried to educate me about Oprah's Legends Ball. Yeah, I
2: mean, tried. <laughs> I tried to educate you about Oprah's Legends Ball. Did any of it take? Remains
3: to be seen. TBD. TBD. But you were not the only one teaching around here, and uh, you know, I deserve credit.
2: I never heard that one before.
3: I deserve credit for the things that I give. So I am going to play this clip where I made the case for why legendary performer Della Reese deserves her own biopic in 1969. Della Reese, she kind of decided to, you know, transition away from music as kind of like her primary thing Uh to TV. She had options. So she was already a star at this point and had like been regularly appearing on kind of like the late show circuit. Mm -hmm. She was often on shows like Ed Sullivan and Tonight Show. And she was such a good guest that in 1969, she got an offer. An offer to do something that no other black woman in history had done. You ready? This is the breaking barriers part. She got an offer to host her very own daytime TV talk show. That's right. 17 years before Oprah would launch her own history-making TV show, Della Reese hosted Della, a daytime talk show that ran for nearly 200 episodes.
2: I did not know about
3: this. (laughs) <laughs> Not many people know. Wait, so okay, so she had a talk show. She had a talk show. Imagine, yeah. it's, she so she's like the
2: first, basically the first black woman to have like a was it a national talk show.
3: Yeah, absolutely. What? So here is Della Reese on Della. Ooh, it's very short, but she is introducing the old school funk band War. You remember War?
2: Uh, I'm a I have <laughs> the world is a ghetto on vinyl. I'm a big fan of War. <laughs>
8: Yes, there's an Englishman who became well-known to the young people in America as the leader of a group called The Animals. He now has a new sound and a whole different bag of music. Would you please welcome Mr. Eric Burden and his new group called War.
3: So, I don't know about you, but it, it like, really touched me Wanted to see Della Like, she's got this beautiful, like, gown, like, dress yeah. on with this, like, I don't know what you call it Is that a shawl?
2: It's like a shawl sash situation of some sort. Yeah, that's like her. over her shoulders. She got to be, you know, it's like a prayer cloth for the chest.
3: Yes, but like she she looks beautiful. Like she's she's done up so well. She's, like standing out in front. The spotlight is on her. She has her orchestra in the background. It's like very seventies set. Mm-hmm. It's just it was it was amazing to see see her in this period and understand like the significance of what she was doing.
2: Well, also the other thing that's interesting too. So like I would guess that she has to be what in her like uh, late 30s, yeah. early 40s mm-hmm. in this clip. I think about like just how significant that is to not just have like a black woman but a black woman who it seems had a lot of popularity making black music for black people mm-hmm. and to be in her like 40s 30 late 30s, early 40s having this sort of career, yeah. Major career shift and like being able to break this barrier. That's like that's really significant. It's massive. You know, they don't like to give Hollywood. Don't like to give opportunities to people above the age of twenty six. Yeah, they
3: still, you know, like
2: today. Yeah. So this is like this is really significant. Yeah.
3: So the show was the show was popular, but sadly it was canceled after one season. But in spite of that, Della would go on to make history again. By becoming the first woman, period, to guest host the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Wait, she was the first woman, period. Woman, period, not just black woman. See, she's first again, woman period. this is
2: interesting it makes me so sad too, because like I didn't know about that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I don't know, like maybe I would have different dreams for myself if mm-hmm. I had even known that a show like that existed or that Del Reese was like the first person to have those sorts yeah. of opportunities. Or even to be able to see it. To just yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insp- it's inspiring, but it is heartbreaking. But also inspiring. You know, it's really um, meaningful to listen back to that and to think about that now as we are embarking on our own. (laughs) I'm serious, though. I I mean, like, you know, it's um, one of the coolest things about this whole process of being able to have the opportunity that we have with the new show we're going to do at Quibi that's actually going to be visual is that, like, I have a film degree. I have (laughs) always. If I look back... Like old journals, old live journals. God, I've always, always, always wanted to write for television. It's something I've always wanted to do, and to hear myself, you know, months ago, um, when I don't even know if we—I can't remember. I don't think we were as far down the no, road with this opportunity not at all. as yeah. We, it didn't really seem like a full reality yet, yeah. and to like just be on the other side of that now, and to be like, you know, not just like we get to do it, but also like being able to give. Other people Opportunities on You know This show that we're making It's just really incredible And to think that like So much of that started From this moment With the, Like being able to uh, Other people being able to Imagine us in this space Yeah is, The lineage yeah, yeah Is like being able It's like a lot of that Starts with like Her doing this It's incredible to think
3: about Yeah it It's really all the is. more reason Why we need to know More history about folks To know who's You know Who's footsteps We're following you yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I mean look I, Things My dream was deferred Actually <laughs> Literally, my dream was deferred. But yeah, I mean, but you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to split hairs. I feel great now, but it's like, you know, sometimes you do wonder, like, oh, maybe if I hadn't, like, felt like this thing that I wanted was so impossible and ridiculous and it had, quote unquote, never been done before, like, maybe I wouldn't have spent spent time not thinking that it was something that I could do,
3: you know? Yeah. So you just mentioned that you have a film degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if I didn't know that about you, I clearly say you have a flair for the dramatic. It's, about, it's, it's. <laughs>
2: I would actually agree. I would never yeah. say that as I know myself, but it is rich with what? The, the delivery that you gave was rich because what? you too have a a flair for the dramatic. I don't mean in the theater, okay? So <laughs> what I'm saying is is that like you know people in glass houses,
3: maybe you shouldn't throw stuff. Okay, I mean,
2: whatever. In fact, one of the most dramatic moments on our show came from you, Eric, when you gave the eulogy in our Medea homegoing episode.
7: It's a fair question to wonder if Medea's good outweighs her bad. And look, I can't answer that question, y'all. It's irresponsible, maybe, to think that any one person, anybody but God, could. But I know... Are y'all ready today? I said, I know that when Medea came to us, she felt singular. Did y'all catch that? She felt singular. One of her. Uno. Uno. There didn't seem to be anyone else because we hadn't met Queen Sugar. Ah, Brother Chadwick hadn't become the Black Panther, and we hadn't yet fought. I said we hadn't fought our way out of that
6: sunken place.
7: We especially ain't went on a girls' trip, but Medea, her bridge, I said her bridge helped us get to all these places. She flew in the face of those who tried to ignore. The value of our stories. Yes, they, she told yes. them that all the stories are valuable. Even the ones. I said, even the ones. Even the ones full of mess.
3: I wonder if I, I wonder if I would have made more money in life as a preacher.
2: You wouldn't have made more money. Well, you know what? Actually, no. If I think about the way that you like to approach money and <laughs> accruing. <laughs> capital yes correct i think that maybe you could be one of those preachers with the spike louboutins (laughs) that could be you i absolutely would be the spike louboutin loafers
3: (laughs) with like an ipad out there like trying to like and uh, a pj
2: you'd be like you know what uh here's the private jet uh, offering (laughs) for pastor eddie yes
3: yes yes that and the building fund you know the building fund what's the building who's building a new one Mm.
2: Coming up after the break, more of the nods' favorite moments. But for now, please enjoy Chef Ocho's Quesadilla Time Masterfully Remixed by Gimlet engineer Bobby Lord.
1: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
5: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
3: Welcome back. Welcome back. So, on the Nond, one of the things we really enjoy doing, and one of the things we try to do often, is make sure that we give folks their flowers, mm-hmm. you know? To, like Try to just recognize the people who truly deserve it, who often just don't get their stories told. Yeah. So we were thinking it could be fun to hear some highlights from some of those stories in the next few clips. And this first one comes from producer and editor... <laughs> True, 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 true. Emmanuel Berry. She told us the story of DJ Larry Levan and the club that he was, excuse me, the iconic club mm. that he was best known for, the Paradise Garage.
8: Most important to Larry, and one of the things the garage would become known for, was the sound system. It was Larry's pet project, and he spent countless hours tinkering with engineers to create a unique sound experience. It was powerful and loud, but at the same time, crystal clear. At the garage, you could feel the music in your body. But for Larry, building a club was not just about a great sound system or a decked out space. Larry wanted to recapture the feeling of belonging and community that he'd found at the loft. The club would be members only, but anyone could become a member. In 1978, when the Paradise Garage officially opened, All of these elements came together to create a party space unlike any other, a place where each night had the potential to be life-changing. The person running the show, Larry. In his booth at the garage, Larry emanated a vibe of effortless cool. He was tall and fit and lean, often sporting a tight t-shirt and jeans. And from his perch above the dance floor, he would mesmerize and manipulate the party, making each person in a crowd of a thousand think he was playing music just for them. David Depino watched it all happen from the booth.
9: I remember once, me and him were standing at the, the booth. And I said, Larry, can you play this record? It was pretty new, and I loved, it was my favorite. I said, so I could just run down and dance for one record. He says, not yet. And I said, why? And he said, because it's just not the right time for the record. And I said, what does that mean? He said, everything is about timing. He said, there are certain records you could play three times a night so you could split it up. There are certain records that can only be played once a night, and the room is waiting for it. And you got to decide when is that moment. Did you work them up enough? to when you put that on, that's the cherry on the Sunday? Or are you wasting it?
8: Larry would definitely play crowd-pleasers, but he wasn't one of those DJs that just played whatever was popular. He had his own music agenda. If Larry loved a new song, he wanted his dancers to love it too. Sometimes all it would take is playing a track at the right moment to make it a hit. Other times, Larry was more forceful.
9: I was there one night when he played one record, eight, times.
8: Wow, do you remember what the record was?
9: I don't remember what because he did it to a lot of records, not that many times, but one night he said, "I played this record 18 times tonight. I played the instrumental four times, different ways. I played it from the break. I played it from just the last part of the ending. I played the whole instrumental. He said, I kept slipping it in over other records. He says, this one was hard. They just didn't want to accept it. but they did.
2: That is a talent. Yeah, being able to do that. I mean, Larry was do. It's easy to do all those things now with like different software mm-hmm. and like being able to like you know have the, the the
3: touch turntables that are all digital.
2: Doing that with records, yeah, that deserves to be like commemorated.
3: Yeah, it was basically like what what Jay and Kanye tried to do with Niggas in Paris. Like they would play it over and over and <laughs> <Yeah>. over again. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, he's he set the tone. He absolutely set the tone. Legend yeah and Brittany, one of the one of the other stories that I love that we've done on the show um, is one that you reported on Stormy Delavier mm. And so Stormy's life was incredible literally as I learned about it from you. she had a tough upbringing in the deep south. She toured the country in the 50s and 60s as a drag performer and she was rumored to have thrown the first punch at Stonewall like it's crazy. yeah. And after that glamorous career in show business, Stormy found a new purpose in life as a bodyguard for gay and lesbian bars in New York City.
2: She worked the door at lesbian and gay bars with an iron fist and a pistol on her hip. Here's some footage of her from that period outside a lesbian bar called The Cubby Hole.
9: No, guys, that isn't a fishbowl. Keep walking. Keep walking. Okay, okay, okay.
5: Okay. All right, big, all, big, right, big, all, all right.
7: All right. All right. No problems, guys. No problems. All right. Okay. Fine. Just keep walking. You know, I've got enough
9: problems tonight. Keep walking.
2: Stormy continued to protect patrons of lesbian and gay bars for over 30 years. She laid down the law, and she was known for watching out for younger queer women. She became known as kind of a cowboy of the West Village. Again, here's Stormy's friend. Lisa Canastrasi.
3: Don't you mess with my baby girls. I mean, that's what she would say. She would be like, trust me, you want to keep walking and put her hand on her hip. Sometimes she would follow them up the block. (laughs) I mean, she was amazing. One of the things that was wild about that is um, I'd actually actually been to that bar with friends. Mm
7: -hmm.
3: So it's just, it's crazy between that and her living those last days of her life in bed style. Yeah. Just how much, we walk through these paths that like, these people who have affected our lives in probably ways we don't know, yeah, have all traversed, and we interact with that history. And so often, we just don't get a chance to access it. No, and a lot of times, like in the case of the uh, nursing facility, yeah, where she kind of spent her last days, like that's that's no longer there. It's no longer there. They spent the
2: past year tearing it down. I would pass by it in the morning coming to work, and I started to see it little by little. Get torn down and now it's all gone. Yeah. When you learn the story about Stormy, it's just like you're like, oh, there needs to be a plaque here. Yeah. At the very least, plant a tree. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
3: And she's just one person. Who like who's to say how many other people just as important were also there?
2: Exactly, exactly. But you know, one of the things that I feel grateful that we've been able to do with the show is to preserve the legacies specifically through audio of people who have lived these incredible lives who sort of walk among us. And that also makes me think about an episode that you did, Eric, um, about the story of Everly Hairston. Mm. Everly was born on the Me plantation in 1942. And yeah. that was the same plantation where her ancestors had been enslaved. Just Wow. And so the Harstons, this white family, they owned that plantation and dozens of others, like the Rockefellers of the South is what they call them. Um, and they were the largest slaveholding family in the South. Yeah, And Everly's family would continue working and living side by side for the White Hairstons until the 1970s. As time went on, Black Hairstons and White Hairstons kind of began to feel like, you know, just one big family. Yeah, just uh, wild. No, yeah. <laughs> and they would go on to have these joint family reunions despite, you know, the dark legacy that they were both kind of entwined in. Yeah. So one of the people you're going to hear about in this clip is Judge Peter, and he's the patriarch of the White Harstons. And he's um, someone that Everly actually grew up with, mm-hmm. kind of as like a like father, older brother figure.
3: Yeah. At a Hairston clan reunion in 1996, Everly was a guest of honor. And that night, she'd be giving the keynote address at the celebratory banquet. She was seated at the same table as the judge and his family. At the time, Everly was giving speeches pretty often about her life. And so she got up and started to give the same speech that she'd given many times before.
13: I was talking about how I had succeeded in life. You know, some of the things that I had done. So I told that story about how we were up in the fields. 10 or 15 yards down that cotton row, I saw a brown snake. So I yelled to my brother. I climbed onto a bag on the very top, just trembling and shaking and praying inside, oh, my God, please, there must be a better way of life for me. But instead of just saying what I said when I was up in the fields...
10: She turned to the judge and
12: said...
13: I thought, and I thought, that there had to be a better way of life for me, Mr. Peter... And you could have heard a pin drop.
10: It was a shocking moment for a number of reasons. One was, you know, a black person just didn't speak to a white person in public that way, or even in private.
13: It was like, I don't believe she did that. But I had said it.
3: To be clear, the it was very slight. Like, a casual observer might have missed it. All she said was, Mr. Peter. But by doing that, Everly was calling out years of mistreatment that her family had experienced. And even more than that, to the people in that room, she was highlighting the thing that everyone had gotten so good at ignoring. Just how messed up the relationship between the Hairstons and the Harstons really was. Like, no one talked about it, but look at that narrative of good treatment that story didn't hold up when you really looked at it. Henry told us of reports he'd heard of especially poor treatment by the Harstons. One enslaved man was beaten and locked in a barn without food or water for three days. One coolie me sharecropper with a hernia had to kneel at the Harstons' back door to make his weekly payments to Judge Peter's father. And I mean, it was slavery. Like, even if they were treated quote-unquote well, what does that even mean? With just two words... Everly had dragged those memories back into the light. In that moment, what made you say that? What made you say it that way?
13: Because here he was sitting there, all proud of the fact that he was there at the reunion. And yet, what I had to go through, or we, my family, had to go through to live on that plantation, working for little or no money, they got... 70% 70% and we got 30% after picking cotton all day. That's what went through my mind. There's better, better way of life for me. I don't have to work on your plantation <laughs> and make 30 cents out of a dollar when you get 70% and we're doing all the work. I had broken through Years and years of quietness, of silence, people not talking about what it was like to be on the plantation. And just by merely saying there had to be a better life for me, Mr. Peter, that broke it.
3: And what, what was uh, Peter's reaction? Like, how did he, how did he respond? He
13: was completely red. And he got up, he and his wife, and they left.
3: It's crazy. I I still get chills hearing her talk. Like, I've heard, I heard that piece of tape a million times. Mm-hmm. And I still get chills hearing her describe that scene and just remembering her story. Like, you were there with—we went to go record mm-hmm. with Everly together, and— I'll never forget that we drove back. We were driving back down the Hollywood Hills, like Everly. That's yeah. not a spoiler, but you should you should go back and listen to the episode. But Everly kind of has she's made it now, yeah. You know, and we were driving down down the street, just kind of like trying to reflect on what we had just heard because we went there for a much smaller story, yeah. <laughs> and we were both just like in tears, like happy. Happy, sad, yeah. like, it, like I'll never forget the rush of emotions of feeling like, wow, like, you know, she wasn't in our family, Mm-mm. you know, we didn't know her. No. But just having her sit and give us that story. It was it was life changing. That day we
2: drove up through the Hollywood Hills. me myself personally, I haven't been to many homes up there. Same. <laughs> and that's, you know, where Everly's living now with her son and, and his, you know, his children and his wife. And it was like us in like her living room. Yeah. We're just like sitting right yeah. next to like i might have even been on the floor at some point sitting up under her just holding a microphone um and that was like we talked to her for like three hours yeah I think halfway longer. through the conversation i think it might have been longer halfway through the conversation her grandkids had come home and we had like she was like oh do you want to meet them we we're like yeah obviously sure, yeah <laughs> so we took a break from recording and we went upstairs and met them um and her son uh who's you know it's his, his house and he was like you know do you want to see the view we were like, okay. So they let us like walk through their bedroom to like the terrace they had off the side of their bedroom. And look, I have never seen a view like that in my entire life. Yeah. It was like all of the Hollywood Hills,
3: mountains. The sun was like peeking down. Yeah. Perfectly, yeah. It
2: was unbelievably gorgeous. And it was so, it was just such a testament to sort of how far her lineage had come and how far she'd brought her family yeah. like in their really. living room they kept a window pane from the original like cabin cabin yeah. that she was born in yeah. and it was like so they were like you know you can look out the window but like don't forget this is like this is where our family comes from they were it, that was such an incredible day yeah. and there's so much stuff I may mean, also that makes me think of like how even just that story like how many things have happened over the course of reporting over the past few years that we haven't been able to fit into the show. Yeah. One of the episodes that makes me think about that a lot, look, as much as y'all love me and Eric, <laughs> we know the truth, we know y'all <laughs> favorite episode is Nuck If You Buck. Yes. An oral history of Nuck If You Buck.
3: Yes, to be exact. And that episode was produced by the one, the only, Mr. Wallace Mack. Yes. Mack went deep to talk to all the members of Crime Mob to figure out how this song came together, including Lil J, mm. Princess
14: nook B. buck came it started with the beat no no no. yeah it started with the beat summer 2002 i made the beat and in my mind i'm imagining that fucking fight that happened at my mama's house like damn this nigga got his ass whooped it's like one street light on and i think about that bell that's where that bell came from for that fucking street light you know what i'm talking about and, um, you know what I'm saying? So I made the beat. The beat was inspired by Unk Camp, my homeboy Doc Jam, Pastor Troy, No More Plan GA. It was inspired by that kind of energy. Them, them snares in there, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So the beat, bam, that's done. Damn, we need a hook. So my partner's uh, Psycho Black from Crime Bob And uh, Big Man Nook if you bug, nigga No, if you bug, nigga No, if you bug, nigga I said, man, no, 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 no That don't sound right, man I said, change it to boy I said, never mind, i do it No, if you bug, boy nook if you bug, boy I said, hey, Ben. we got the hook I ain't put the hook with the beat yet I'm trying it out with all other kind of beats that didn't work that didn't work. I said, Let me make this beat. Let me, let me put this beat the beat I made for I went to six flat. Bam! Put that hook with that beat. Nook, if you pop,
5: do do
14: Bam! I said, That's it, right there. That's it. Bam! I put my verse on there, did my thing for the girls, they verse on there.
4: Yeah, we knuckin' and buckin' and ready to fight. I betcha I'ma throw them things So oh, hate and special fight See me, y'all ain't nothing nice. It called my beat, ain't no
14: time, but thank you. Like say that move ain't deal like that's not. My dad bought a goddamn CD burner for the computer. You know what I'm saying? And now we got the opportunity to let everybody in the world hear our shit. Cause you gotta understand, y'all. It wasn't no MySpace back in the day. It wasn't no Facebook. With no Instagram, with no SoundCloud, was none of that shit. So we knew what time it was when we started burning them CDs and we were selling them CDs like crap.
3: This shit was just crazy. Like you, it was <laughs> That was such a good story. Yeah. Interestingly enough, when we uh when we talked to Princess, uh, we were actually in Atlanta mm-hmm. at Princess's house. And so mind you, Princess's house was actually the family house when they were growing up. Meaning the house that they actually recorded and created the song in. That's so wild. Yeah. I think I was sitting on her, like, pool table or something like that. And, yeah, I'm just, like, I'm sitting here, like,
7: I'm on Princess's pool table right now.
3: And she's, like, giving me the goods. It was just, it was so amazing. And that story was just so, just it was, it was fucking great. It was great. It was it.
2: great. He absolutely, absolutely killed it. Okay, so, look, we have mentioned that while making this show, we have learned a lot. Mm -hmm. We got to flex our creative muscles and and get into character from time to time. We have been able to lionize unsung Black heroes and to write, you know, some of history's omissions, frankly. There's so many things that we've been able to do with this show that I'm so immensely proud of and that I hope one day to share, you know, with my child and my grandchildren. But There were also lots of other moments on the show where we just did what the fuck we wanted to do. It was black as hell.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh my goodness. There was, uh, this wasn't on purpose, but I, uh, I was uploading an episode one day, some like behind the scenes stuff. And I actually like misspelled the episode. Like I wrote, instead of writing with this guest, I wrote wit- and so I tried to. I tried to, I tried oh, to yeah. justify it, like, well, that's how oh people my talk. my
5: god!
2: <laughs> you're like, you know what? It's it's African American Vernacular English, and that has a space here. Eric. <laughs> that's not as bad as a dream deferred. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's not, but maybe close. But I mean the close. logic
2: is you're running along the same pathway. I'm with consistent, the logic.
3: if nothing else. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. So, in that vein, here is a montage of some of the most Flavorful, I guess flavorful. if you think about the magazine that Queen Latifah <laughs> created on, on Living Single. Yeah. Moments of the show, just kind of some of just the blackest stuff that that we were able to put on the air.
8: Black women, we don't like getting our hair wet. Yeah. And that was like one of the, the critiques. People were like, why is she wearing a shower cap? I'm like, why wouldn't you wear a shower cap? I mean a bonnet, a shower cap, rollers, none of that ever stopped me from getting it in. So when people be like, I can't get I can't have sex with a woman that got a bonnet on. What's wrong with you, bro?
3: So I think we might need to go ahead and call and call a taxi rather. Oh, here we go. Green cab. Might get lucky. Let's see. Oh snap!
7: Black man held a cab on the first try. Look at that! <laughs> Look at that!
3: Oh, nice. How's it going? How you doing? Uh, I think you're gonna go to No and Make a left. I do it worry. Oh, sorry. you got it. You got it. I'ma roll with you. I'ma chill. Could
2: I get a Biggie cookie? Is that Easy E? These are Biggie and Easy E cookie and Easy E and yes. Tupac. I thought I th- the Tupac one. Can you show me the Tupac one? I, I definitely want to eat the Biggie cookie because, you know, I respect myself.
14: That banana you ate for lunch was a clone? You know for a fact they're cloning animals. So what makes you think they won't clone your black ass?
4: So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he said, you know what, though? I'm going to tell you something right now. That is a very Hotep sentiment. Yes. <laughs> but there's like...
3: Maybe a negative... A kernel
2: of truth, Right. <laughs> Then you already know they're cloning animals. What well, makes you think they won't clone your black ass? I can't argue with that.
3: I mean... I
2: still can't argue with that.
3: I mean, it's, it's, it may be unimpeachable. Honestly, <laughs> look. Look, keep your third eye open. 2020. Always, always. Do you
2: understand what I'm saying? Even just think about the numerology
3: of that. 2020. Don't sound right. All right. I can, I, I can always tell when we play slightly too much Sean Blazington. Because...
2: <laughs> <laughs> By the end... <laughs>
4: I was like, it should just be pre- going
3: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so all the other people in the Banks family have moved out of this house. Um, you know, it's just me and you, Brittany, standing in the in the living room looking I know. sad.
2: I know. I <laughs> know. We, we still
3: have one more episode left, so do, do, don't, you know, don't do, nothing, yeah. don't do nothing drastic. Don't delete us from the feed Goodness now. Goodness gracious. No. And before we leave you, we, we have one more thing before we go. Oh. So... Earlier in the show, we heard a part of my eulogy from the Medea Homegoing episode. And we're going to finish this episode with Brittany's contribution to that service. Mm. Her stunning, and I don't say that often, I don't say that lightly, but her stunning rendition truth. of Never Would Have Made It. And, you know, obviously they're talking about God, but, you know, we're talking about all of you. That
2: is the truth. That is the truth. You know, working on that episode, it was so much Fun. when I got to record that song. There's um, obviously we record the the show in studios at Gimlet, you know, for podcasting. So they look a little bit more businessy mm-hmm. uh, if they, if a podcast studio <laughs> can. But. There's a live studio in the Gimlet offices that looks... It looks like the place where you go to take off your shoes, <laughs> sit on a little pillow poof, yeah. and like record an album. And so I got to sing in that studio with like live piano accompaniment. I felt like Mariah Carey in the One Sweet Day <laughs> video with Boys to Men. That was an experience I will cherish forever. Thank you, Matt Bowl. Thank you, Bobby Lord. That was beautiful. That was amazing.
3: And without further ado... This episode was produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce and Wallace Mack. Our senior producer is Sara Abiraman. We were edited by Sarah Saracen. We were mixed this week by Bobby Lord. Our theme
2: music is by Khalid B. Make sure to come back next week for our final episode.
4: I'm stronger I'm wiser I'm better Much better When I look back Over all you brought me through
5: Ooh, All right, I see you, Sister Luz. You can really sing, girl.